Okay, thank you. So um, now we're going to bring together some of the key ideas, the main ideas that we've been exploring, and also talk about some of the remaining sections of the sutta. So I've been given the task of wrapping up and putting on a bow. <laughs> and um, we'll see how that goes. So this theme that we've been developing is um, skillful use of the Buddha's teachings. That was kind of the phrase that we've captured it with. So what I did was I went back over the whole sutta and I read it through again with putting a lens on it of looking for tips on how to skillfully use the teachings. You know, what happens if you read the sutta with that idea in mind? And I found that they are spread throughout the sutta. Uh, there's quite a lot of tips. They're not just what the Buddha says explicitly, but there's kind of demonstrations of it all throughout. So I wanted to um, share just briefly the list that I came up with, with the caveat that this is not some kind of an absolute list. It may not be a complete list. You may have a different list if you went through, but you know, just to show um, what this can look like, is that I, I went through several sections and I found each place where it seemed to me there was something being offered about how to skillfully use the teachings. And I'm not, there's a lot of words and I'm not going to go over this in great detail, but I just want to highlight that you know, we start out right in section three, we could discern that it's skillful to learn widely such that we could pull together diverse teachings on the same topic. You know, Arita expresses this view that isn't correct. And his friends all say, oh, what about the simile of the skeleton, the simile of the piece of meat? And they suddenly have 10 teachings in mind about uh, how the Buddha has taught about the dangers of sensual pleasure. So there's a way in which we can have um, ready access to the teachings. And then we'll uh, kind of skip down, we have section 13 is on the raft. So using a given teaching for its intended purpose and then letting it go, using it for the moment where it's useful and then um, oh, not clinging to it. And we'll need wisdom to know that. That's what Ying just referred to in developing our own discernment about the teachings. Um, and then I wanna maybe um, just highlight overall, there's a lot of messages being offered here about how we, uh, we can approach the teachings well, how they can be used to enhance and support our spiritual path. And then I want to talk a little bit more about these last two in particular, and I'm going to stop sharing because it's kind of distracting with so much there. Um, but I'll read again uh, as I talk about each one. So starting with the second to last, uh, it talked about how letting go of views, uh, particularly a view of self, is something that doesn't really amount to uh, just having no views or having no self. This has been highlighted a couple times today, but instead that there's some subtlety about that and some nuance and some discernment. So we might think, for example, that we're not supposed to have any views or that we're not supposed to use personal pronouns anymore and you know, once we've let go of the self. And so you know, our partner asks us what we would like to eat for dinner. And we say, well, I don't have any views about anything. And I don't really exist anyway. So there's probably really nothing to say about that. And meanwhile, our partner is going, what? <laughs> you know. So 
we think we're kind of odd. So the Buddha does express views. Um, for example, he calls Aritta a misguided man. Um, and he uh, at least sometimes speaks about himself in the first person. So, he, but the thing is that he can do so with complete understanding of what he's doing. So he knows, uh, he has perfect understanding of that uh, being appropriate for the moment. He uses views and ideas of himself uh, appropriately for the situation, if you will. So it's perfectly fitting to know which car is yours in the parking lot. You should probably go to that car. Um, it's, you can make clear decisions based on your values. You can even prefer Italian food for dinner if you want. Um, but the question is always whether this is done, and this refers just to what Nicholas was saying, whether it's done without asserting a self or without asserting some kind of absolute truth um, and clinging obstinately to that idea, but instead done lightly and appropriately for the situation. And then there are situations, of course, where it's um, useful to be very flexible with our views. And I would say that meditation is one such place. So when you're sitting on the cushion and all you're doing is uh, sitting there peacefully, uh, why do we need concepts like my knee or my back or even my anger? You know, why, why not um, be a little bit more flowy about that and uh, check whether or not there's any need to put on such labels. So we worked with this a little bit yesterday, last time with, you know, these things can arise, the body is the body and it's, that's all it is in the moment. And if we really um, open up to that and enter into that, we can start to learn much more about different layers of the mind um, we can start to relax and let things flow and we'll see new things about the body and the mind that we don't really have access to in our the press of everyday concerns that we have to respond to. So it's a real opportunity sitting on the cushion is to start to loosen up um, some of those and then that will affect our lives in various positive ways. So meditation is a chance to be free of all these ideas if you dare, give it a try. So then the, um, the last item I had on the list, I showed, uh, uh, said, start from faith and love, come to clear acceptance and practice the path fully. So that's a little bit of an extrapolation from this whole last section of the sutta that we haven't had a chance to address yet. So it's, it's really exemplified in those final sections of the sutta that um, we're meant to practice the teachings. And that I would say is the final skillful use of the Buddha's teachings is that we take them into our practice, into our life, um, into the very stuff of our particular world. It doesn't, you're not to practice somebody else's life, you practice your life. And so if we do so um, sincerely and diligently, there will definitely be fruit from that. And that's what these last sections address. So sections 42 through 47 describe various stages of awakening. And there was a handout um, about this that was sent also, which I'm not gonna go over in great detail, but it's, um, it just fills in a little bit more information in case, case those terms weren't useful, weren't familiar to you about the different um, uh, 
we might call them levels of attainment, but let's just call them stages of awakening or maybe even stages of understanding that we go through when we progressively let go of views and self, we will have deeper and deeper understandings. The handout that I do want to talk a little bit about is the one with the verses from the um, Etivudaka, um, which has this verse, this beautiful verse that brings in so many of the themes um, from this sutta, all named at once. And so I want to, um, it talks about three kinds of search. I'm just going to read it. Sensual search, the search for being, the search for a holy life. One who takes his stand upon a view and holds it tightly as the truth. These are heapings of defilements. For a bhikkhu or a practitioner, wholly dispassionate and freed by the destruction of craving, searches have been relinquished and uprooted the standpoint of views. With the destruction of searches, a bhikkhu is free from desire and doubt. So... In this sutta, we've heard a lot about the sensual search. That was what Arita was pursuing at first. And the search for being, which is a, another way of saying the search for an identity, the search for a self. And then there are views that fuel uh, both of these searches. And so these verses um, point toward those um, that interrelationship, which you also just talked about in the groups, we might briefly recall sections 22 through 24, which is the one where the Buddha chides the monks about you might acquire a possession that is, you know, everlasting, or you might acquire an identity that doesn't lead to any uh, dukkha. And then he says, ha, 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 but really there isn't such an identity, is there? And so, um, so we can maybe understand that based on this sutta. But then what this verse brings in this this third search, the search for a holy life. What is that? So there are probably you no know, different ways of thinking about this, but I'm going to tie this into our, our uh, raft idea and say that the, the search of the, for the holy life is what relates to these stages of awakening that are mentioned uh, at the end of the sutta. So we might see that the, say that the search for a holy life is about walking the path. You know, we're searching for something that our heart is calling us toward. There's a sense of um, knowing that the spiritual life is something that we're seeking, that we're seeking to bring into our life, that we're seeking to integrate throughout our being, as Ying said so beautifully. We endeavor to follow the teachings. So there is a, a search going on there in a sense, a, a skillful desire, if you will. So this is the skillful search. And it does yield fruit, unlike the search for sense pleasure and the search for identity, which are endless searches that are often disappointing. And the fruit that it yields are these stages of awakening, arhant, non-returner, once-returner, stream-enterer, and the last few listed at the very end of the sutta that some of you commented on that are not stages of awakening, but are leading in that direction very clearly. So... These are the raft, and um, we move along the practice in this way. But even this search comes to an end. So the arahant reaches the far shore and relinquishes even the search for the holy life, search for the spiritual life. Um, it has been done. Done is what had to be done. 
as it says, when an arahant um, declares his, his or her awakening. So the arahant reaches the end of searches. So for the rest of us, though, we can use these elements of the path, um, including the use of right view, including the use of skillful use of ourself in our life to um, get ourselves onto retreat, get ourselves to the cushion, but trying not to get caught up in that. We can use this uh, walking of the path, the walking of the spiritual life, until we can release that with awakening. So let me back out now from this particular sutta and look at the activity that we're doing in this sutta study class. Here we are engaging with these teachings and I have loved every question and comment that have come up about how these are relating to your life, your path, how they relate to your conditioning and what it brings up. That's all part of this um, walking of the path. So we could use these ideas from MN22 to think about how to study uh, come into our path. You know, we're all um, engaged somehow with these teachings. So we might consider that based on the teachings in this sutta, we would be careful in our study not to uh, dogmatically take up certain ideas in the suttas as absolute truths, uh, grasping onto them as views that must be upheld and others must follow them and believe them also. Um, there are many suttas that uh, where the Buddha warns about getting into religious debates with others, and we could use this sutta also as a support for not doing that. So um, considering that there's so many messages here about how to skillfully use the teachings of the Buddha, the written discourses that come down to us, and then also in our actual practice as we uh, cross over this flood of views and self and senses over to the other shore, uh, free from views, free from self, and the end of all searches. So thank you. This, I hope, has been a fruitful journey, and we, we would like to end with your voices, actually, and another opportunity to ask any questions or any comments that would help you feel complete. Thank you, Kim. Wow. Really wonderful. Really wonderful wrapping up, and I appreciated the bow. Nice. Um, and it's hard to believe that after that pellucid presentation, there could be any additional questions. But uh, somebody said earlier that it's wonderful to, to have these questions come up and to be able to sort of, you know, let them, let them uh, be uh, entertained among us uh, as, a, as a group of practice uh, in this way. So yeah, we, I see a couple hands up. Let's, let's, uh, let's start, with, start with David and uh, see where we get. Yeah, hi, thanks. Um, yeah, I just want to do a, maybe a little devil's advocate with uh, Kim because uh, on, the, on the view, at the same time, the, this sutta is the Buddha sternly correcting a view and asserting a view. You know, this is something I've... Um, given a lot of thought to and I was really impressed by something Bhikkhu Bodhi said in his introduction to the 
his translation of the Sutta Nipata. And he raised the distinction, and I just toss it out for your consideration. He raised the distinction between um, people identifying with views and arguing with them and students of the Dhamma discussing views, as Kim would say, more as a means of practice of following the path. So the idea of no self or self could be really unskillful from simply an intellectual matter. But amongst students of the Buddha and in practice, you know, along with meditation and walking the path, it may be a very different approach that is skillful. And I'll leave it there. Kim, do you have a, uh, a thought or? I thought it was very well said. Yeah. So yes, um, the engagement with the teachings uh, can include these um, well-spoken uh, discussions with other students in order to tease apart our own views and what's useful in the moment. Yeah. It all depends on the intention and the way that we engage. And it, I would I would just add to that that yeah, this is a story about Arita, or we could say I like to for Arita for that name since it's Polly. I like to put in the name David, my name. But this is in a way a framing of a story about Arita. But the Buddha takes this arising of a view, uh, a view that is you know, a, a, involves an un, unskillful holding of the teachings. And he uses it as an opportunity to teach the whole community, right? It's really not, you know, by the time we get to the end, it's not about a Ritta anymore. As somebody pointed to earlier, it's about ourselves as well. It's not even just about the monastic community anymore. So I think the Buddha frequently in these suttas sees an opportunity um, to um, take advantage of something that arises in the community of monks to provide something much more profound. So anyway, I, I think uh, a great deal is, a great deal more is available than just the story of David. Uh, I mean, Arita, excuse me. Um, yeah, Heidi. Uh, I don't know if it's a comment or a question. I'm trying to tie in um, last, um, Thursday, uh, Lila and I started a conversation about nurturing, nurturing um, um, views, and if we should or not. And then um, Lori, in the discussion today, talked about um, speculative views, and we talked about that word and the kind of the meaning of the word. And then when Nicholas talked about the clear purpose of when you share something, and then Kim, when you talked about the Italian dinner, um, picking the Italian dinner, I was thinking, do we even have to ask the question, like, what do you want for dinner? And maybe it's just, we're having Italian for dinner um, and being okay with that um, and not having that question. Yeah, with my son, sometimes he just say, we're going to have 
Chinese for dinner. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> any other um, any other thoughts, questions, reflections that would be useful as part of this as part of this raft, uh, useful as part of this discussion as we come to come to a near the close. Any other? Maybe I'll, I'll make a yeah. comment um, yeah. just for us, for our consideration. That is that um, a lot of the sutta, the, um, the Buddha, he's saying like, do not misrepresent me. Other people are saying this is about my teachings. And he, um, and he's described as one who knows and sees. So in technically we could uh, in the sutta say, the Buddha is not one that has views, he's one who knows and sees. So there's a distinction between a view is something that you believe, you come to a logical conclusion and you believe it's true or it's a preference or something like this, as opposed to a knowing and seeing that a completely awakened person has. So if we wanted to get in the, in the weeds, we might hold or consider something like this. So. Yeah. That's well put, well said, Diana. And yeah, that's I, far from being the weeds, you know, that is, that is a central part of this teaching that we come to here. That's held in that paragraph 38, that formerly and now all I teach is suffering and the end of suffering. Uh, that's a place without, without views and without selfing. He, he's speaking from, he's the only one in this exchange who's speaking from that particular vantage point of being being a being an individual but not not being not clinging to views or self so that's a that's a very nice way to uh and i say except for i see kim's unmuted so to to oh, i thought i saw winnie's hand up and i wanted to see oh. if you had yeah anything. i just wanted to ask you bit. how do you know um when it becomes a rationale because if the teaching is so flexible Right. And then someone said earlier that, you know, you tease apart what is useful to use. So I find I, you know, I could find myself in this thing and say, well, I can discard this and this is OK. Um, so that's so the question to you would be, how do you know, you know, um, you're not just rationalizing because it's easier. Yeah. Great question, Winnie, and thank you, Kim, for seeing the hand that was on a second page for me, and I, I did I wasn't looking past it. I didn't I didn't see it. Um, wonderful question, actually, to end. And the quick answer I would give, because it must be quick, because we must close, is just that, yeah, this is where practice comes in. I think this is a large part of what the sutta points to, and it leads us through, is to, you know, be attentive, be engaged, be an observer of the views of the clinging process, watching selfing and suffering happening and arising. And by continued familiarity with it, one way to read the sutta is that we cross over many floods. We, we, we prepare a lot of different rafts. Um, possibly we grab a lot of snakes by the wrong end for that matter. And it's in that process. This is a process of practice, of learning, of continual re-engagement with our experience. Um, always working, as Diana's pointed to, to increasingly adopting of views that free, views that point toward freedom or that have freedom uh, within them. 
So let me just uh, say thank you for that last question and allows to add another little bow to Kim's bows and then pass it to, got to look at my cheat sheet. Help. Diana. Diana? Yes. Thanks. Okay. So um, I just, um, I just put in the chat box because um, our next classes. So we're having fun, the four of us planning these, talking about these things and stuff. So I'm going to continue to offer them. These dates are not on any calendar yet, but this is what's going to happen. You know, IMC and Sati Center, we're all volunteers. So things happen at the pace they happen <laughs> and in the way that they happen, right? So um, our next class will be two Saturdays on July 24th and 31, and we're going to zoom way out. What is this polycanon? What is a sutta? And like, and put it in perspective, these. And then um, in August and November, August 14th will be the first one. And November 13th will be the first date. Um, we're going to do two more topics. We're kicking around some ideas. We haven't actually settled on exactly what we'll be doing then. These will get on both the IMC calendar and on the Sati Center calendar, sati.org. And we're working on the website for the Sati Center. So it's a little bit more clear. You can easily find what we're teaching and all that. But, and um, I hope it's okay. We're, we, our current thinking is that we'll send an email to those of you who are taking this class. We will never spam you. And this will be the only time we'll send emails is just to let you know the ne next class. And then maybe one last thing I'll say, something else we're also working with is how can we make registration maybe a little more straightforward. There were quite a few people who registered twice uh, for this class and we, that we were thinking like, oh, okay, maybe our, we need to work on this. So we're, these are just let you know what we're thinking about, what we're planning and, and we hope to see you all. We hope to see you all. Okay, so now I'm kicking it over just to say the last goodbye. <laughs> so another round of tying the bow together. <laughs> so um, yeah, just take a moment to gather. Um, maybe just looking at the squares and the two screens. I uh, want to have um, just deep gratitude. Um, to the teachers and the teaching team. And then Nancy uh, Yamahiro, who's our registrar uh, behind the scene and got you all in here. Thank you, deep bows. And many people uh, behind the scene that um, we don't necessarily know that helped making the conditions for those classes to come together. So may all that um, benefits, married values that we collected and gathered and harvest in our own heart and mind. May it spread out wide open. May it become flowers in many people's heart and mind. May it touch all beings. May all beings be well. May all beings have liberating wisdom coming out of them. So thank you for being here. Take good care. And uh, you can unmute and just, you know, say a few words and get your voice in. 
as a, as a community. Bye. It's so lovely. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Oh, great to be with you all. Great to be with you Thank you. 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 Thank you.